Welcome to Homepage Radio. Every fourth Thursday of every month, I am now returned to the beautiful and soon-to-be historic WPKN Studios in downtown Bridgeport, and I am always joined every week to talk about subjects of home, not as do-it-yourself stuff or architect weirdness, but as the home is a single universal place that every human, and every animal too, for that matter, but every human consciously has in their lives. The home is the most fundamental piece of architecture architects think about, and also also the most intimate piece of architecture that every human being is forced to deal with every day, especially in a time of COVID when we are often locked in our homes for unending periods of time. But with me every week is the greatest radio engineer in this room, Rod Richardson, how are you? I'm enjoying that low bar yet again. Well, it's hard to screw up when you set things set things that way. Uh, yes, absolutely. So, no, everything's fine. Here we are at my home away from home. Oh, there you are. See, that's the other thing is that, you know, home is 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 where you sleep, I guess. It's a movable feast. It's a movable. But, but you know, I think offices these days qualify in some oh. respects as a home. And, and since also people are working out of their homes... Um, then there's that, that co-mingling and also the erasure of the barrier between work <clears throat> life and home life, which is dangerous oh, goodness. to your well-being. I, I know this from the uh, 20-some-odd years that I worked as a graphic designer out of my home. There you go. And that meant that I could work any time, at all times. And when you didn't, you weren't working. Yeah, and feeling guilty about it. Exactly. So, you know, so it's, it's, it's a cautionary tale. There you go. And it probably, you know, somehow ties into what we generally get well, into here. I've known a woodworker for over 40 years who essentially, is that right? I think that is right. Over 40 years who essentially lives in his shop. And that's his place of residence is in his shop. And he has for 40 years. And it is an interesting um, unanimity of his persona and his day-to-day, which I think is in some ways terrific, in some ways a ring of hell, I think, for a lot of people. Well, it's kind of like the clergy that live, you know, adjacent to the church property. Man. I just am living in hell 24 hours a day that I make for myself like everybody else. But today, today in Homepage Radio... We're going to go to another universal, which is, you know, there's this thing that architects like to talk about, scale. Scale. What scale is it? Is it the large scale, the small scale? Is it intimately scaled? No. There's something that's independent of scale, but is completely made of it, and that's just called size. I mean, how big is something? You know, big is relative, right? A, a, a big grape is not as big as a small orange, so what is big? Well, this particular month of homepage radio is basically talking about the new, old lure of the small house. And when you think about size, all we have to do is have about a 20-year look back. Just look back at just Connecticut where this is being live broadcast or anywhere where people are getting the streaming or on a, on a podcast – Look around you, and the the home is a unique place in that its size is all over the place. I mean, just think about what's happened since World War II. World War II, the average American home was under 1,000 square feet. 
And now it is over 2.5 times as large as that. It only has had one modest pullback after the 2008 recession. But since then, it's gone up and it's kind of holding steady. But that just, to me, frames the question, how big is big? How small is big? How big is small? I mean, what, what are we talking about? We had this great McMansion overdose in America that crashed the rest of the world and our, but crashed everybody's economy because there was this sense that bigger was better and more was was not more because we would always have an increasing value after we built something. And the value of our homes could always be covered by the increase of their cost until we kind of realized that a home is as fundamental as a loaf of bread. And a loaf of bread, while it is affected by inflation, is actually a loaf of bread. Well, that Great Recession of 2008 created this enormous blowback to the McMansion, which was always a joke, but is now like a, you know, kicking up the house when it's down joke. It's it's the classic thing where you don't ever want to admit that you love your McMansion or are building a McMansion or would want a McMansion. That's somehow now a bad thing. And for a while, people were in love with the idea of the tiny house. There was the tiny house movement. And that was incredibly seductive uh, in a way to uh, manifest where we live in a way that we knew and we could be part of. And it reflected us. It was bigger than our clothing, but not that much bigger than our clothing. It was maybe a couple hundred or 400 square feet, but it was so tight that it became also a joke, as in you see in many ads now that mock the fact that you can't go to the bathroom without being in your bed or, or cook a, a, stay, a, a fried egg without sitting on your toilet. So this last year, I think a third reality has happened. In the vast majority of places, whether they're apartments really or homes, these places were designed with no particular place in mind. They were just stock plans or apartment buildings. They're, they're just, they are places where you live. And we have now been sequestered in them for a long time, for, for the last year. But that confronting the generic, I think, forces us to think about us. We're forced to think about what we need because either the home is too small because we don't have a place to do those endless Zoom calls or it's too big because now you're there and you realize you don't go into these three rooms or it's just a bad place. But that comes to a time in, in the century, really, where we really do not know. We really do not know where we're going. We live longer. So generations combine. We take care of our parents. Our children live with us longer. Divorce is now more prominent. So we have this serial movement back and forth where homes are either for singletons or for combined families. We also have this idea, or not this idea, this reality that we're buying large quantities of food and fungibles, and not just the toilet paper that we've been stocking up on for the last year, but many things need large places to live because we buy them cheaply because we buy a lot of them at once. And we also are transitioning out of a time when we need a three-car garage. We think maybe that's kind of crazy. Maybe we should have a one-car garage or in some places a no-car home. And we also are creating our own energy too. And that means it needs space. That means it needs surface. And in all of this, in Connecticut, a zoning revolution is happening. A huge request by 
uh, Sarah Bronin out of uh, the University of Connecticut Law School and also former chair of the ZBA in Hartford, that we really rethink single-family zoning to include things like accessory dwelling units that we've talked about in this this show, which is dropping a second home in single-family zoning. And we even think about being able to zone in multifamily, uh, in other words, affordable places to live in places that are extremely expensive because they are single-family neighborhoods. So what I think we have is a mixed signal environment. The American dream was once a iconic reality for many people that was a shining little home on a hill with a picket fence. But I think that's changing. So we have two voices uh, from Minnesota, two architects that are incredible, that have dealt with small houses their whole life, and an architect from New York. And several of us, including me and, and two of the other people I just mentioned, have written a ton of books about this, and in fact, books about small houses. So we're going to have Den- Dale Mulfinger and Dennis Wedlick and Jeffrey Warner to join us in Alchemy. And I think, sorry, not in Alchemy, <laughs> at Homepage Radio. Actually, just as a little clue, Jeffrey Warner created Alchemy as an architecture firm, so stay tuned for that. But their experience, I think, will give us really a perspective about where we are as we come out of the COVID cauldron and actually think about how big does our house actually need to be? Well, I will join you shortly. Welcome back to Homepage Radio. I'm Duo Dickinson. I'm an architect. I write some. And and every month on Homepage Radio here in WPKN, we talk about the home. And what's interesting about the home is that it is the most essential commodity that humans have beyond their food and their clothing. And, you know, food, shelter, and clothing, those are the big three. Well, in the shelter part, we have a moving target, uh, especially in these last few years where within a generation, we've had a huge surge of McMansion construction that was insanely overblown, and then a radical response in the tiny house movement that was radically anorectic in its capacity to be flexible or even recognize all the things we do. And we've just coming out of, please, coming out of, a year in sequestration where we've had our faces smashed up against many of the prototypical homes that know no site, know no architect, but are here, we live in them, and we have essentially been force-fed those homes for the last year and are, I think, coming to realize what we value in our homes. Perhaps the most essential and most basic reality of what a home is is a lot like our clothing. 
I mean, being a, a person with a suspect BMI, I can tell you that the size of my clothing has a great impact on my sense of my size. So, and my goodness. So my sense is, I think our home's size may be changing. Maybe it's growing, maybe it's shrinking. But the only way to know this is to talk to people like Dale Mulfinger. Dale Mulfinger is actually an architect, but he's been called, and I think suitably called, a cabinologist because he's written a bunch of books on the cabin, including one called The Cabin, and you should have it if you don't have it. But he grew up on a farm in Minnesota, and I'm sure surrounded by cabins, maybe even living in a cabin. He went to the University of Minnesota, grad, taught, taught there. He founded one of the great ar- residential architecture firms in the country, just any firm, but a great residential firm in 1983 called Sala Architects and has worked all the way from you know, the distant region of St. Paul, Minnesota to the other side of the world, literally Buenos Aires. And in those six books, he's dealt with the history of Edwin Lundy, who's a, that's another great book that I have. But he's also always had the sense of why humans have homes and what the vision of a home can be for a person. So once again, I've had you before, Dale. I introduced Dale Mulfinger to our audience. Hello. Hello, Duo. It's great to be back on. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you right up. How was your COVID? Uh, I didn't have COVID, but I had a shot two months ago. There we are. Or shots, and so I'm in the herd. <laughs> and uh, uh, I've been at the office all the way through this pandemic. Me too. Me too. Every day. Yep. And myself and one other. And yep. there are everyone else of our staff is working out of the, their house. Although now with shots, they're starting to gradually drift back to the office. Yep. Me too. Well, you know, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of um, sympathetic and consonant things happening where patterns are reemerging from this break. And in this time, you know homes better than I do. I want you to just pull back and not think about anything except size. How do you think house size has changed, not just in the physical terms, but in just our culture's mental terms? What about size and the home? Size seems to vary a lot, depend on economics and or location and expectations of cultural expectation. And obviously during really robust economic times, such as the boom of the 80s before the crash, uh, homes were gradually sneaking up into bigger and bigger sizes. Um, And then they reduced again. And and then as you kind of alluded to, there's been this little interlude of fascination with tiny houses um, so we, I know in our firm, have been doing many different size homes for different people in different locales. Um, and we probably don't do a lot of what I'd call starter homes. Mm. So I would say quite often clients who come to an architect are looking at their, by then, their second or third home in their life rather than their first but I do know that in the homes I've lived in, in the urban area of Minneapolis, there is still huge demand for four squares or bungalows, mm. which range in size from a bungalow of about 1,000 square feet to a four squares more commonly around thirteen to 1,400 mm. square feet. 
those houses are still in huge demand. They command great prices and and I think serve families, modest families, reasonably well. They're two to three bedroom. The bungalows are more commonly two bedroom. Uh, four squares are more commonly three bedroom. And um, and so, and, and family size today typically isn't mm. much more than two children. So, um, so yeah, those those homes have served well, and those sizes probably could still serve well for for families, um, particularly starter home families. Well, there's an interesting thing, you know. There's a you, you probably have heard the rumors that I'm a I'm a um, I'm I'm genetically disabled by being an Episcopalian, and so I I work a lot with churches and and think about things that are involved churches. And there is this sense in America that, of course, this is a time when religion is so, so sorry because it's losing so many people and people aren't coming to church, when in truth, we're just basically now at the same, about the same percentage of people go to church now as did in 1930. And there was that the, that the thing that all us baby boomers and our children really tried to, to pretend was normal was, in fact, aber- you know, ab- different. It's aberrative. After World War II, a lot of people went to church because I think they went through hell. Do you think that there's a similar aspect to the post-World War II sort of exuberance or optimism or even just hope or even just recovery that, that made homes bigger than they will be and that the, the prototypes you're talking about, the 1,000 to 1,500 square foot that was the history of the American home really for about a hundred years, be- you know, before World War II, do you think that that's our future? Well, uh, post-war isn't Levittown post-war. Yeah, and and the Levittown Cape Cod houses were probably at best thirteen hundred square right. feet. Uh, so I think there certainly was a post-war period when houses were modest. Um, yes, over time, houses have grown. Unfortunately, they've grown more in garages than they have in the house. Um, <laughs> you know, from no garage to one car, two car, now three car or more. And so now you get a little dinky house attached to a big garage. Uh, uh, but but those Levittown houses uh, served modest-sized families back then, and they can still serve families. Um but there are certainly expectations today that probably people seem to want more than just the basics. So mm. the basics being a kitchen, a dining, a living area, and maybe all one that's all one area, but uh, then a bedroom for each child and, and the parents. And, um, and then usually some rooms beyond that, you know, the, yeah. as Sarah would say, Sasenka would say, the away room or right. the rec room or... Uh, some place to kind of get away from the family at times, besides your bedroom. And I think uh, the new, so, I think there's a new phenomenon, which is that because of the internet, independent of COVID, because it was it would have happened anyway, but accelerated by the pandemic. I think now working at home is not weird. Working at home is correct. is kind of right. normal, not for a lot of professions, but for some professions now, working at home might actually be the the, the default reality that is now getting designed into production homes, but I think existing homes are being modified to accept that role. At the same time, people are having fewer children and so, and more stuff that they want to buy in bulk and store. So 
if you had, if somebody put a gun to your head, Dale Mulfinger, Mr. Cabinologist, Mr. Mr. Great Author and Architect, what would you say the home would be like in, say, your grandchildren having children? What, what would the home, your grand, when your grandchildren have children, what do you think the home they're going to want will look like? Well, if they have to pay off all this national debt we've now accrued, <laughs> uh, you know, it might be pretty tiny. But um, I think I think homes in the one thousand to two thousand square foot range mm. are are will remain a very effective dwelling for yet for families, mm. and uh, you can still in that space have enough room to have a little getaway office if mm. you need, or it can be a cubby or a piece of a bedroom so i think that that range will fit well and i think as we mature as a culture we're you can see these younger generations are probably more interested than than our generation uh was of spending time at the coffee shop with Mm. their friends so there's there's more of a culture that's out and beyond the house Mm. Uh, in terms, and so therefore the house does not have to be as big because you're not entertaining as much in the house. You're more likely to eat out um, and you're more likely to spend time biking or hiking or doing things that are outdoors than maybe uh, people were doing 20, 30 years ago. Uh, So I don't think we'll feel such a large need to have multiple room after room after room uh, type, you know, the, the the rec room, the TV room, mm. the, you'd start naming all the various names we put on rooms, the exercise room, you know, will we, will we all want to exercise at home with equipment <laughs> or will we want to return to the gym post-COVID? I think one of the reasons we liked the gym was it's a social space to exercise yeah. and exercising alone isn't as much fun for some people, for many people, as exercising with a group of people. So so I, I don't think we're going to see a huge need to make the home bigger other than some people just seem to need to show off with their right. house. And always have. And, and, and so the house, you know, takes on this another attribute. But that's, I think, a bit of a minority. You know, if you really look at the broad yeah. total number of houses built, um, uh, it's a minority that are seeking the 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 mm. square foot homes. We're well, working on one right now at 7,000 square feet. There you go. So it's not, the, not something we don't do. No. Uh, and and this is a multi-generational house, but it's still, it's a big structure. Well, you know, in the future, we'll have a show, I think, on the houses that are now really three or even four houses. And, and size is really keyed, I think, to use, too. So... I could talk to you for the entire show, Dale, but but your friend Jeff Warner is uh, is is up next, and I thank you for connecting him to me. Sure. And, well, you're gonna, yeah, you're going to love his work, especially the work of his uh, tiny house. Yes, his uh, wee house yeah. thing, and we we had him. He had a wonderful time at, with the students at University of Hartford, where I teach, and really helped good. them see what was going on. So, thank you for that, and thank you for being on Homepage Radio. Oh, good talking to you again. So when we come back, we're going to talk to Jeffrey Warner, who is of a slightly younger generation than um, than Dale and I, but has also got an interesting take on how to do homes that is not this one-off custom thing, but also not the stock home that we've all been 
crushed under during COVID. So when we come back, Jeffrey Warner from Minnesota as well. The sad thing is that the show is nowhere near as interesting as the music that Rod Richardson uh, makes us uh, for us every every weekend. In fact, not even as interesting as as some illusions that Rod comes up with when we are in a break. And one of which was that we really are in a Stockholm syndrome period, and that would be Stockholm and Stockholm syndrome. So so in that in that spirit, I want to bring in a terrific architect, Jeffrey, or Geoffrey, but Jeffrey Warner. He is also from Minnesota, just like Dale Mulfinger that we talked to, and they're friends, and, and, and they have both been on the cutting edge, I think, of how people think about where they live and how they live and what the homes mean, not from the elite top-down, capital A architecture, thou shalt like modern buildings or thou shalt like um, historically perfect buildings, more about, well, what do you want and what do we need and how do we get there? So Jeffrey Warner has created something, I think, since 1989 called Alchemy in in, uh, Minnesota. And they have, this group, Alchemy, has uh, come up with many different disciplines to create solutions to how people live. And I saw a wonderful display of his work last Tuesday in my class, as I was telling Dale. And in that is this, I'm going to ask him really what it means, but is this sort of line of thought called the We House, or We House. It's one word, lowercase w, capital H, We House. Like Bauhaus, House, I guess. But but I want to ask Jeffrey Warner first up. Jeffrey, welcome to Homepage Radio. Thanks, Duel. Here is my question. How was your covid My COVID's still going on. <laughs> but you're surviving. I am. <laughs> so we, so before I get general, I'm going to get very specific. I'm just going to ask a real simple question. These people who are listening know nothing about the Wee House, but you have built about 50 things that are sort of under the umbrella of Wee House all over the United States, West Coast, in the middle of the country, East Coast. Tell me about this we house and how size impacted your thoughts about it sure um you know the the we house is a uh is a way of delivering design to people uh using 
any number of different kind of methods, but but originally it was it was the idea of making a house that you did in a factory underneath a roof, mm-hmm. and you stuck it on a truck, and it shipped out to its uh, you know its site, um, you know more or less done, or at least as much done you know as it could be, depending on how many boxes that you put together to make these houses. Hmm. And, and it's not just the house though, because what you showed us is also that you incorporate a lot of different technologies in how you build and what you build. Can you talk about your relationship in the design, creation, and actually habitation of technology in your work? Yeah, well, you know, you can imagine that sticking a house on a truck is both sort of a very easy idea to kind of wrap your head around um, and sort of then more complex when you think about all the systems that it needs Mm. to uh, accommodate and um, just the sort of exercise of envisioning what you can stick on a truck and then how you can package uh, all the systems and all the interiors and even the siding sometimes, definitely the windows, the insulation, the electrical components, the plumbing, all of that stuff, and then connect them together um, sort of leads to then uh, sort of just questioning how you can really make the most out of both the space and then the technology that's available um, kind of readily out there today. Mm. So so do you think, you know, that with, with you actually experimenting, and correct me if I'm wrong, but many of your wee houses are under a thousand square feet, some are over, and some are multiple pieces that end up being two or three thousand square feet. Am I right in that? Yes. Yeah. Originally, you know, the, the, the idea is that if you, if you um, develop a um, kind of a way of thinking about the house as a system of boxes or sort mm. of box space, then you can, um, you can make a very small self-contained single box house. And then you can also make one out of separate boxes that are kind of like little pavilions where maybe one's a bedroom and a bathroom, another is a living area, and then you've got a nice deck or porch or patio between them. Or then you can put them together. And so, you know, we were very, very agnostic in terms of, you know, kind of which is the best thing to then promote to people. But then, you know, people kind of came to the, you know, they they come to us with their own kind of Mm. interpretation and needs and, um, uh, you know, basically kind of embrace this idea of, of, uh, of a house that can kind of, you know, the, or a system that can kind of grow according to their sort of needs for either the site or, or their, their, their program. So, so Dale was talking about, uh, Dale Mulfinger was on uh, the previous segment before you came on, was, was talking about the sort of sustaining value of, of extremely traditional buildings, bungalows, four squares, here in uh, Connecticut, the Cape, um, these these historic boxes, and they are boxes, um, are essentially capped with gable roofs and trim and even ornament and window types that li- give them, quote-unquote, style, close quote. Your, your um, wee house really is evocative of a truly modern and in a real estate parlance, quote unquote, contemporary sensibility of fresh, clean, open um, design. Do you think what you do uh, is it needs to be clean and quote unquote modern, or does the idea translate into things that have different forms and different roofs and even different sizes? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. You know, the, the, the system for making uh, a house is, 
tied up in its technology. And so it depends on how you deliver it to, you know, for, for architects who tend to be modernists or trained in modernism, a lot of times we tend to think about then how, how that system can relate to what, what you see. And so, you know, some people really relate to a very streamlined, modern box kind of sensibility. And then other people are really attracted to the bungalows. And really, you can have modernist uh, uh, responses um, with either one of those, you know, uh, I guess, iconographies or, you know, way the house looks, um, I think. And what what modernism is just trying to do is, um, I think... I think just sort of maximize the the the, uh, the sense of space and the um, the technology that goes in a house mm-hmm. um, with with maybe less decoration or maybe a different kind of decoration right. um, that that allows you know both kind of traditional houses and and sort of flat roofed houses I think to to just kind of do more um, than they would if you were kind of having to shove into a, a, a specific vernacular style necessarily. So in this in this weird time, and I do think this is a change time. You've now been doing this for a lot longer than 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 Dale told me. Where he called you, he called you a young architect. I would call you a younger than me architect. Um, um, <laughs> Bless Dale, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Yale's, and I'm younger than Dale, so I actually right in the I'm in the middle of the totem pole. Um, the 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 real question for, for you, I think, as somebody who's now done this for a while and done this from a different perspective than most architects have, and I think even, and, and also most home builders have, you're sort of in that interesting place that's neither commercial builder nor esoteric architect. You're somewhere in this large uh, connection between the two. Do you see um, that there is, as Dale does, this sense that there's a future in the we idea that we may be thinking that the best house is smaller than it was in the first years of the 21st century? Oh, you know, absolutely. I mean, and when, when the turn of the millennium came through, the average house was, was pushing, I mean, this is the average house was pushing around 2,500 square right. feet and new houses were even more than that. Um, you know, the pressures that were um, put on people around that time for high costs and uh, shortage of labor are similar to what we're dealing with now for mm. different reasons. But also very, you know, kind of um, germane, you know, need that that we need to figure out how to make our cities more livable, how to um, reduce transportation, um, how to increase quality, how to serve people with less cost and more utility and more sustainability. And then, you know, the the changes that we've seen in the last 20 years um, through the Great Recession has also led to an increase in just awareness of sustainability Mm-hmm. And a lot of people putting a lot of time and energy and um, useful products out there that we can actually afford that um, that just makes this easier to um, to embrace and use um, overall. Well, I could go on and, and so, talk about so this, this for le- I just could say I could talk. We could talk about this for a long time because the whole idea of this being part of a larger sustainable ethic would take hours. But in the meantime, I am, I'm going to talk to somebody who you might know, Dennis Wedlick, next, and he's from New York, and his books on small houses and your thoughts on the Wee House are almost directly consonant with each other. So I think uh, I think this program really says that size does matter. So so I just want to thank you, Jeffrey, for coming on the radio show. And when we come back, so thank you again, Jeffrey Warner, for being on the show. 
And when we Thanks come, very much, Bill. Uh, anytime. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Dennis Wedlick out of New York City, a great architect and author. Welcome back to Homepage Radio on WPKN 89.5 FM on your radio dial. WPKN is an amazing creation of humans that want to do information in a way which is just not the way we're normally presented in the world. I mean, right now we look at our phones and we, we go to the internet and we Google things, but present 24 hours a day, 365 days a year is WPKN. And on it is predominantly music, but there's also things like this, ideas, thoughts, but basically humans that are, I think, exploring things that, that are deeper and thoughtful, more thoughtful than you'd see on your average Instagram page. Having said that, I would just love it if everybody listening would go to the WPKN website, all the people that are listening that are streaming from all over the place, but also people that just haven't done it yet. Take a look at the WPKN site. See the availabilities that you would have it for to help WPKN and help yourself, both in terms of donations, but also just in terms of participation. So go to the WPKN website. It's easy to find, WPKN.org. Just, just go there. Well, this month's contribution to Homepage Radio is basically called House, House Small. Basically, small houses have been fa- f- fantastically appealing for generations in America, especially in response to some of the grotesqueries of the McMansion, right down to the tiny house movement that got people fairly much tight in their shorts when it comes to the bind that a 200 square feet might place on how you live. So the size of homes after we've been in, as Rod Richardson puts it, the stock home syndrome, as opposed to the Stockholm syndrome, now that we've been basically com- compressed, pressed into our homes that are predominantly standard fare for everyone, are we thinking about the size of homes differently? The most elemental reality is how big is your house? Forget about all the features and all the stylistic things, even the sustainability of it, although smaller homes are far more sustainable than big homes. Think about size and how that fits your perception of the world really since this pandemic. So with us is one of the great architects in America, Dennis Wedlick. And Dennis has been had his own firm for about 30 years after working a dozen years with the amazing Philip Johnson, who's had many interesting bios and other things written about him. But he, in the time since, in those 30 years since, he's he's written a bunch of books, including uh, the latest, which is classic and modern signature styles of 2013. So you can find that on Amazon, and you should. But Dennis, I, and Jeremiah, who was going to join us this week, but but couldn't, um, 
we created about 15 years ago, we created the Congress of Residential Architecture, really in response to the grotesqueries of McMansions and the and the insane attitudes of houses as being fungible things that create wealth without consequence. And uh, Dennis, it is great to have you on the show, and welcome to Homepage Radio. Thank you, Duo, and happy Earth Day. It is Earth Day, and uh, Martha Willett Lewis basically had just uh, talked to us about Earth Day all for the last two hours in WPKN, and I'm sure the next person who is on will as well. So thank you for bringing that up, Dennis. Dennis, tell as I've asked everyone, how was your COVID? Oh, uh, you know, my COVID actually was um, pretty okay. I, I live in a rural part of uh, of the Hudson Valley. Um, our town is uh, pretty small. It's uh, 3,000 people. Uh, so we had no problem, you know, social distancing. <laughs> We're pretty spread out here. And, um, and also we have the benefit of, of having easy access to local food. And so, so I cannot complain. That's good. That's good. Now, you, you became enormously f- uh, famous for creating a very small house that was incredibly beautiful. Um, and you've done small houses now for, I guess, 30 years. How, if, I, if I put a gun to your head and I would say, how small is small? How mu- what would you consider to be small as opposed to medium or large in homes? Yeah, yeah. Well, you did mention that, um, that we launched Cora um, in the 80s, and uh, part of that was because we were all concerned about the ever-expanding size of homes, but also the sprawl that was going along with it. I think we each came from a different um, point of view. Uh, I was designing homes for 800 square feet at the time, uh, which um, was about half the size of the typical house. And, uh, you know, the goal for designing homes for that small was to get the home owner a higher quality home with the, the hope that if we could um, convince them that they could live in, in, a, in a home that's half the size, we could have twice the resources to make homes that were more energy efficient, you know, had more natural light mm. and uh, cleaner air, better connection to the landscape. Yeah. Um, you know, asking me now what is a small home has really evolved mm-hmm. and because because over time uh, my commissions uh, were for larger homes. I mean, people did want bigger homes, but they they at the same time wanted greener homes. Mm-hmm. And um, ultimately, that led to us developing the the and passive house technology. Yeah. Uh, we built the first passive house, um, uh, certified passive house in New York state. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, I've come to learn that, uh, it's really the size of somebody's carbon footprint that, mm. that matters most. Um, and, 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 you know, you can actually have smaller homes that are far less energy efficient than, <laughs> than larger homes. Exactly. And, right. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, so for me today, I think the issue is, uh, you know, is consumption. You know, as a matter of if are people, you know, um, 
just buying so that they feel that that's the economic pressure of buying a bigger house so that they can they can sell it later on, um, you know, um, or you know, are they really interested in those fundamentals about having a higher quality life um, and taking out to see them and their family, making sure that um, that when they they do purchase a home, that it is a home that uh, can you know can be sustainable and can have the the smallest impact on the environment. Well, it's interesting because, uh, you know, the, the Congress of Residential Architecture that we all created, I think really touched a lot of architects in it, and it kind of sunsetted with the 2008 recession, sort of ending so many different aspects of residential architecture practice for a while, and it's it's come back, and it's come back in a way because of uh, in, in manifestations but one of those manifestations is it was started at almost the same time called the Custom Architects, Custom Residential Architects Network, otherwise called CRAN. And you are, and I don't know what the official title is, but but you are the wizard of the New York chapter of CRAN. Could you tell us about CRAN in New York and just CRAN nationally? Because people might want to just see what CRAN does to see what architects are doing in homes and if CRAN addresses the issue of style and also addresses the issue of size. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes, we um, we launched the uh, AIA New York uh, CRAN uh, Knowledge Committee, which is essentially AIA New York is the, the very first chapter of AIA in the country, and they have 27 knowledge committees. And just recently, we launched one that focuses on residential architecture. Um, so if, if people are interested, we you can easily find us, A-I-A-N-Y-C-R-A-N. And, and we do have um, programs and broadcasts that focus on homes. Uh, so not housing, uh, single-family homes, uh, uh, small projects. Um, but also up to uh, four units. Generally, though, uh, we focus on residential neighborhoods. Hmm. And, you know, what I think what you were saying about, you know, 2008 was the bust. And in some ways, that relieved a lot of pressure of the sprawl that we were uh, afraid of. And in other ways, it actually gave us, especially the architecture industry and the building industry, the time to try new things. And that, that is exactly... Uh, when we focused or uh, shifted our focus onto uh, energy conservation and passive house. And so while people have returned to building big homes, uh, they certainly are building better homes uh, because of that. Uh, in New York State, we are just two code changes away from requiring all homes to be passive, to meet passive house standards, hmm. which is generally 90% uh, reduction in heating Loads. It's about an 85% reduction in cooling loads, and and it should promise to be about a 75% reduction in um, in total energy use. And then New York State has just recently passed the Climate Act, which is pushing um, the entire electrification of every home in New York State. Um, so it wouldn't be a long stretch, combined with the changes in the in the code and um, electrifying to get almost all homes in New York State to be uh, net zero. Well, here's, so, here's, a, here's a real question I have for you, because, you know, net zero and passive home and, and all these other, um, I'd say, heavily marketed things, 
have always been um, appealing because of their efficiencies. But it's interesting to me that that everyone that's been on the show, and myself included, have indicated net energy use is maybe the best way to think about the size of a home, the size of the energy use, not the square feet of the home. In any of these code things, because I'm unfamiliar with New York's code in this this way, tell us, is there anything that mitigates for or against um, the, the size being larger or smaller in a home? No, nothing, nothing that will mitigate against homes being larger or smaller. Uh, the, the, the New York State has an unusual problem. It's, it's, we don't have a lot of new homes being built. Mm. Uh, so we actually have a very a rapidly aging housing stock, mm. and um, the, the issue, the problem is, people don't have new homes to move into. They're they're just too expensive. Uh, it's just very, just remarkably too expensive to build new homes in New York State. So the the real aim is to get people to that are in homes to have them get them help to to retrofit their homes so that, mm. that they're more energy efficient. The, the other interesting thing that we're looking at in New York State is, is shifting the paradigm about how new homes are built. See, one of, the, one of the reasons that homes got so large is because developers needed to make the money on the return of the investment in the, in the subdivision of the land. Right. And the only way somebody would pay $100,000 for a piece of land that the developer paid $1,000 for was to get a big house on it, or else oh. they didn't see the value on it. So to shift the paradigm, we're trying to get more communities to look into taking that developer model away and having like land trusts where mm-hmm where you don't need to make a big return on the subdivision of the land, and therefore you can build smaller homes that are more affordable. And people would then uh, own their hand, own their land in, a, in a, the way like a 99-year lease works, um, like, a, uh, a, like programs you would find in, um, in the city. And, and that shift will keep homes, um, we believe that shift will help to build smaller homes in the future that don't that don't require that kind of um, that kind of return on the investment for for the developer on the on the land. So what, what is also interesting is, and this probably is, I know it's impacting everywhere, and I'm sure you're impacting it too, is the ADU, which is the accessory dwelling unit, which is always limited in size because it is actually placed. These accessory dwelling units are placed in a single family home zoned neighborhood and want to be subordinate to the primary residence. So there's, they are often mandated to be under a thousand square feet. And many people feel that these new densifications of single family building a lot homes, those things are going to force the market and also architects to see opportunities in cheaper real estate base costs because they're built with existing homes, but also then to be innovative and thoughtful, just like Jeffrey Warner has been talked about, about the We House, of feeling uncompromised by their size. Do you see that happening where you are in New York State? Yes, I think a version of that. I mean, what what we're seeing is um, a, a big desire by local communities to have new housing, but they didn't want to lose their 
world character. They don't want to lose the, the, the low density feel mm. and the open space. So the accessory unit is a good example of how, um, how these uh, smaller towns and homes in our area can continue to keep their feel without becoming urbanized and get more people to, um, to be able to afford to live there. Another, another thing that we're looking into is what we call zero lot line homes. Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, this is an old style where you build like a mother-daughter home and, you know, one half is on one piece of property and the property line runs down the middle of the house and then the other half is on another piece of property. I mean, one of the advantages of, of that is that actually the larger the volume, uh, interior volume to exterior surface area, the, the more energy efficient right. it is. So while each one is only about 1,400 square feet, um, it's that the fact that they're sharing one common wall means that the two families are in a more energy-efficient structure than if they built each their own tiny house. So I think it's really important to look at all these different options. I think it's important to, um, you know, as you had also mentioned that the post-pandemic world everything about what is home is changing. I mean, people are working yep. out of their homes now. Uh, so, you know, the idea that, um, that the idea that the cities are the only place that you can find, uh, you know, a sustainable lifestyle that is shifting. And I think that's an important thing for people to realize that, you know, to look at, at, you know, your, your bottom line carbon footprint and the choices you make, you know, wherever you are well you know we could go on for this forever but i really want to thank you so much dennis for dennis wedlick for coming on homepage radio because the future of our homes is also the past of our homes and the present of our homes it's all in one and and you've really been there at all these different junctures and i really look forward to interactions with you in the future as we go into this 21st century. So thank you, Dennis, for being on HomePage well, Radio. Thank you, Duo. And happy Earth Day. Happy Earth Day, everybody. So as, as we leave HomePage Radio, let's just really think quickly about the fact that our homes really are an extension of us. And as our homes are an extension of us, how big those homes are really reflect what our values are, our hopes for sure, but really what we think is important in our lives, not just what we want to be. Thank you for joining Homepage Radio.